And uh, I'm sure people will start to uh, filter back in um, from checking their, their kids in. I feel like we're scattered all over today, but apart from in this front area. I think, I think maybe I must change my deodorant and then people will sit closer to me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying not to take it too personally. All right, my name is Mark. I'm one of the, I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central. And uh, those of you who've been with us uh, for some time will uh, find, uh, will know that we've been preaching through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I've been preaching through the Gospel of Mark for quite some time now, and we're getting towards uh, the end. If you are uh, new to us, uh, it's great to have you here with us, and uh, I'm sure you'll be able to leap right in uh, to where we're at. I'm just going to give you a little bit of a recap in a moment, but that's what we're doing. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn uh, to Mark 14. And we're going to read the passage in a moment, uh, and it will also appear on the screen. Um, but uh, it was so good, wasn't it, last week to have Terry Virgo with us. Um, just uh, so encouraging and faith-building to have someone who has uh, lived their life and really run the race, pressed through into everything that God has got for him. And what amazing things he has seen happen through him and through others as they have moved on in faith and really proclaiming the gospel of grace, which is what we stand in and we believe and which empowers us by his Holy Spirit to live and work to his praise and glory, to God's praise and glory. So, so good to have Terry with us. Some of us went to Halifax for the start of this week and he was speaking there at a conference, Multiply Conference, with a group of church planters and church planting body called Multiply themselves, who we're partnering with. Uh, really, to see churches planted all across Atlantic Canada. Uh, they're a, a national and international organization. So that was encouraging for some of us too, and I know uh, a good number of us could be at that. So let's have a look at uh, Mark chapter 14. Uh, just to give you the context, Jesus has been in Jerusalem for several days now. He's been engaging in discussions with the religious leaders and uh, also with his disciples. He's telling them what the future is going to hold. It's just before he's about to uh, die on the cross. He's coming really to the end of his three-year ministry. So this is such a key time. And really his, his relationship with the religious establishment, with the chief priests and the teachers of the law, it's kind of a new low. Uh, they're trying to figure out a way in which they can have him arrested and kill him without stirring up the crowd um, who are uh, followers who have really been delighting in what Jesus is saying. Here they found someone who is willing to speak out and, uh, and confront some of the heaviness, some of the legalism, some of just the burdens that these religious leaders have been putting on uh, the people, even the corruption that's been there. And Jesus has come and he's speaking words of life and he's speaking words of freedom. And uh, the crowd are loving it. The, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're hating it. They're hating it because they're legalists and legalists hate what Jesus said and did. Legalists still do hate what Jesus said and did. They love to impose their rules on people. Um, they love to say what we ought to do in situations. But uh, when, you, when you live like that, there's no life. There's no life in it at all. No faith. It ends up being just heaviness and duty. And, uh, and it's very different to what 
we're going to see the response of in this passage that we're going to read. So we're going to read Mark 14. By the end of this passage, by the way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they've got their way to arrest Jesus. They've found the way to arrest Jesus because actually what's going to happen in this passage provokes one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, to actually turn against him. So let's read these first 11 verses. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to each other, why this waste of perfume could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor? And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you'll always have with you. You can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. All right. Well, we can read about this event in a number of the Gospels. We can read about it in Matthew's Gospel. We can also read about it in John's Gospel. And uh, John's Gospel gives us a, a, fills out some more of the details. So again, now you've got a, if you've got a Bible with you, why don't you turn? We're not going to read it, but you can turn to John 12 because some of what I'm going to speak comes out of there as well. You'll be able to see where I'm drawing that out from in John 12. So the setting, really, for this... Um, for this, uh, this, this moment, goes to Bethany. It's just outside Jerusalem. And it's a party. It's a party uh, that's being thrown in Jesus' honor. That's what it says in John's Gospel. It's, a, it's, it's being thrown in Jesus' honor uh, just to bless him, just to say, hey, how much uh, we value you, Jesus. And it's, it's just his friends there. There's no religious leaders. So the atmosphere is not going to be one of confrontation, so they thought. And uh, it's just going to be a time to relax. It's going to be a time to enjoy each other's company. It's going to be a time to enjoy and honor Jesus. And the party is being thrown by a man called Simon the leper. Simon the leper. We don't know much about Simon the leper, apart from probably that he wasn't a leper anymore. Because if he was still a leper, there's no way people would have been showing up to a party being thrown by him. People were not going to hang around lepers and uh, certainly not go to their house and have a party. But no doubt he's someone who has been healed of his leprosy by Jesus. It could be the man that we read about in Mark chapter 1 maybe um, who came and Jesus healed him of his leprosy. But whatever it was, Simon the leper, uh, it sounds like he's kept his nickname. Uh, maybe people are kind of saying it him as a bit of a jokey thing, you know, oh, Simon the leper, come on. Um, but uh, 
he would have been thrilled that he'd been healed to celebrate his healing. And he's hosting a party for Jesus in honor of what Jesus has done for him there. So Simon the leper's at the party. He's hosting it. Who else is at the party? Well, John's gospel tells us that Lazarus is there. Lazarus. Now, Lazarus has got good reason to be grateful to God too. Um, Lazarus, I'm sure many of us will know, is the guy who Jesus raised from the dead. Um, He's a guy you'd want to chat to at a party, isn't he? Um, Someone who's been raised from the dead. You can imagine the kind of conversations people are going to be having with him because you don't meet many people who've experienced being raised from the dead. So uh, you can imagine they'd have lots of questions for him. Hey, Lazarus, what was it like? What was it like being dead? Um, Who told you you had to come back? Um, how How did you feel about it? You know, was it one of the angels who came to you and said, oh, Lazarus, Lazarus, you know, Mary's crying. She's upset. Martha's crying. Jesus is crying now. You better come back. Um, how, how did it happen? What, what, what would have happened? Great conversation to have with Lazarus. Um, he's at the party. Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters, are also at the party. John tells us uh, that uh, Ma- Martha is serving at the party. Of course she is. And, uh, and they've, <laughs> they've got much to celebrate Jesus for as well. Um, because their brother's been raised back to life again. You remember back in that story in John's Gospel about where, where Lazarus was, was raised, they're weeping, they're weeping, they're distraught. At first they think Jesus doesn't care, he stays away for some time, and then, oh, he's raised from the dead. We've been hearing this morning, haven't we, about just that waiting, that waiting, God's timing, uh, how sometimes it can be really difficult to wait for God. And and Mary and Martha would have have been finding that with Lazarus. You know, we're waiting. Jesus, he's our friend. Surely he's going to come. He's not come. Lazarus has died. But then, wonderful, the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And so they're thrilled and they're excited and they're serving. And uh, and we're going to see what Mary does in just a moment. So lots to celebrate Jesus for, lots to be glad for, lots to honor Jesus for at this party. Um, Everyone else is at the meal, probably all Jesus' disciples. They're reclining at tables. Um, it's, uh, it's It's not really the way I have a party. But that's what they did. They're all lying at the, they've got this table in front of them and they're reclining. So they're like lying on couches, really, with their feet away from the table and uh, their heads uh, right by the table. So they're eating, they're chatting together. It's, uh, it's all very close. And the, and the party is going on. The meal is going on. And then a woman comes in to the party. And John's gospel tells us this woman is Mary, the sister of Lazarus, the sister of Martha. Uh, Remember the one who's been sitting at Jesus' feet before when Martha was complaining about, well, tell my sister to go and help me in in the kitchen kind of thing. And that Mary comes in and who knows, she probably didn't make a big entrance, who knows, but she came in and she's got this jar of nard, this jar of perfume. And uh, she breaks it open and begins to pour it over Jesus. She pours it over his head, 
And John says she also pours it over his feet and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And right away, the smell of that perfume is going to have started to permeate the room. It started, people, if they hadn't have noticed Mary coming in, maybe they were deep in conversation, maybe they were laughing and joking or just enjoying their meal, but suddenly everyone would have known something was going on because suddenly the intense smell of this perfume would have filled the air of the room where they were meeting. Hopefully no one had allergies. Um, but uh, but they, would have, they, would have been, they would have stopped their conversation. They would have stopped everything they were doing. And suddenly they're looking at Jesus. Suddenly they're looking at Mary and what she's doing. She's broken this jar. She's wiping Jesus with her hair, anointing him. Very intimate, very tender, very passionate display of love and devotion for her Savior. And it's gone become a very public display of love and emotion for her Savior. Jesus later points out, he says, this is, this is her anointing my body for burial. He said, it's like her bringing the anointing. Interestingly, uh, isn't it, that, that the women go to the tomb after the resurrection. Uh, no, after the crucifixion. It is after the resurrection as well. But after the crucifixion, they go to the tomb on the Sunday and they go, what do they go to do? They go to anoint the body but he's not there. So Mary's actually anointing the body before the burial as well. Um, and Jesus is saying that. Whether she knew that, whether that was what she was thinking or not, probably not. Who knows? Maybe she was. Um, whatever it was, it was a, a display of love and it was a display of affection. Very extravagant. But some people thought, this is way over the top. This is just Ridiculous. What is she doing? What, what kind of extreme thing is she doing? They began to talk with each other about what a waste it was. Some of the people present, Judas almost certainly, probably some of the other disciples as well, they knew the value of the perfume that had been poured out. It wasn't cheap. It says it was worth a year's wages. A year's wages in a jar of perfume. Wow. That's pretty expensive perfume. <laughs> wonder where she bought it from. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but she got it. A year, sorry, I'm just <laughs> externally processing it. Um, what could she have done? But, but she's like, a year's worth of wages. What could you have done with that? What can you do with the money from a year's worth of wages? Well, they're saying, well, we could have given it to the poor. We could have given it to the poor. We could have sold that perfume. We could have given the money to the poor. And that's what they start to say amongst themselves. That's what they start to say to Mary. Could have given it to the poor. Of course, no one had, give, had previously considered giving it to the poor because it was there. No one had thought, oh, let's, let's give this to the poor then. People can often say, oh, we could have done this. We could have done this. People often say that, don't they? Um, back in the UK, many of you will know, um, there's been this whole Brexit thing about Britain leaving Europe. And a few years ago, when there was a referendum about it, uh, people were voting. And uh, so both campaigns, there was the, the, the Remain campaign to stay in Europe, and there was the Leave campaign. And the Leave campaign, their main 
advert for it, this is the thing that got the most traction, was this bus uh, here where they said, we send the EU 350 million pounds a week. Let's fund our NHS, which is the health system, it's like Medicare, um, NHS instead, vote leave. So we spend 350 million a week, we can use that money and we can give that 350 million uh, pounds to the national health system, we can really help with people's uh, health and, uh, and long-term care and all of this. And that was the big thing and, uh, and people voted just to leave and uh, the leave campaign won. The very next day, the day after the result was announced, they interviewed the, the, one of the leading guys who was campaigning to leave Europe and they said to him, so now that we've left, can you guarantee, can you say that this 350 million pounds a week is going to go to the National Health Service? And the guy immediately said, no, it was a mistake of saying that. We shouldn't have said that. <laughs> it's not going to go to it. You're like, well, people have just voted and said that's what it's going to, oh, yeah. We could, have, we could have given the money to the NHS, but we're not going to. It was a mistake. People say this could be done for this, this could be done for this. No, actually, Mary is taking this jar and she's using it for what she believes is an expression of love for her Savior. And Jesus goes on and he says, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that she is doing for me. Never mind the poor. The, you'll always have the poor with you. There'll always be poor people. You can, you can give money to the poor any other time. After I've gone, you can help them, but you're not always going to have me amongst you. And she's chosen to do a beautiful thing for me in my presence. But Mary is being harshly rebuked by the people around Jesus. And, and the party atmosphere is changed. It's all changed and it becomes very hostile. Very hostile until Jesus says those things. Until he says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? Don't attack her. And he says, I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Whew, what a statement. Wherever the gospel is preached, all around the world, what this woman has done here in this private room, this private party, what she's done with this perfume will be spoken about. And it's true because that's what we're doing this morning. We're speaking about what Jesus, uh, what she did. How does what Mary did connect with the gospel? How is it that wherever the gospel is spoken, this will be talked about? What's the link? What's the connection between the gospel being proclaimed and this extravagant display of devotion for Jesus? Well, the connection is because Mary's response to Jesus' love for her is the same kind of response that we have when we understand the enormity of Jesus' love for us. You see, when you've understood and received God's forgiveness and received God's mercy, actually your heart, we've been hearing about that this morning as well, haven't we? There's no one who's gone too far. There's no one who's too far out of, out of the love of Christ. And what we need to do is we repent and we come back and we receive forgiveness. We receive forgiveness. 
Well, actually, let's look a bit more fully. What is the gospel, anyway? What is the gospel? This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Very briefly, we were created by God for perfect relationship with him. We were created in his image, and we were created to enjoy all the good gifts which he'd created. And we wouldn't die, and we wouldn't get sick, and we wouldn't hurt each other. But then sin came into the world through Adam, and the consequences of that sin were horrific. The consequences of that sin were our relationship with God is broken, it's severed, and our relationships with each other as humanity are broken too. And as sin came into the world, death came into the world, and sickness came into the world, and hardship came into the world, and pain, and suffering, and conflict, and selfishness, and rebellion, and everything else that we see as we look around in the world around us. And we look and see in our own families, and in our own friendships even, and in our communities, and nationally, and internationally. We see all of those things coming into the world. And that's why we can come and we can say... Um, with confidence when we gather a group of people together, hey, we're going to be going through some tough things. Yeah, of course we're going to be going through some tough things because that's the way that life is now. That's the world that has, has, has come about because of sin coming into the world. And all of those things. So whilst there is still some goodness in the world by the grace of God, we have a world which is full of evil and corruption and death and suffering and pain and all of those things. And the Bible tells us that judgment is still to come. In the end, there will be judgment upon us, and we will have an eternity away from God. So it's not at all good news. Yet, here's the good news. God, the Father, sent his Son, Jesus, to come into the world, and Jesus lived a perfect life and began to restore things as, as how they should be. Even before his death, he began to give signs of what he was bringing about through his kingdom. And so he went around and he healed people from their sicknesses, like Simon. And he raised people from the dead, like Lazarus, to show that death was about to be defeated. And then, after he'd done all of those things, even though he lived a perfect and sinless life, he died on the cross. And he died on the cross. And it was the will of his heavenly Father, but he willingly went there, Jesus, to take the punishment from the Father for all of our sin and all of our guilt and all of our rebellion. He willingly took that on himself. That judgment which was to come, which is to come, which would have come on us, went on him. He died in our place so that we don't have to. And then he was raised from the dead to display that death had finally and conclusively been defeated. So now, if we trust in Jesus, and if we believe that there is no one who is too far away because Jesus died for all sins, and we come and we trust him and we believe that and we, and we say, look, as, as Ben said, God, I'm sorry, I repent, I turn away from that. I believe you took it on yourself and I'm going to walk away from that. And will you fill me with your Holy Spirit and will you pour your forgiveness into my life? Then we can know that love of God ourselves. We can know and we can have hope 
And we can have hope that there's going to be an eternity to look forward to. And it's not going to be a death. And it's not going to be an eternity without God. It's going to be an eternity with God. And it's going to be an eternity without pain and without tears and without sickness and without suffering and with no more death. And, we, and by His Holy Spirit, we can know some of the joy of that in our hearts even today. Even as we walk through the midst of suffering and pain and all the things, because we know those things are coming to an end. And they've begun to come to an end even in me. Even in the new life that Christ gives us. That's the gospel. As we die to our old selves and as we're risen, raised to a new life in Christ and we receive the Holy Spirit, we're totally transformed. We're totally transformed by the gospel. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And do you know what happens? When that happens, when we receive Christ, when we know the truth of the gospel, not just intellectually, but we know it for ourselves, we are full of joy and it results in extravagant devotion and love for Jesus. What wells up in us is the same love that Mary had. When people are transformed and the love of God is preached, we will be reminded of Mary. We'll become like Mary. And it spills out in many, many different ways. It, it, it doesn't mean we're all going to get some perfume and pour it out uh, because Jesus isn't physically here amongst us at the moment, but we express our love for God and our devotion for God in many different ways. In our worship times, <coughs> as we sing songs of worship and praise to God, as we sing the truth of what Jesus has done, as we sing the truth of who God is and how he loves us, actually the spirit within us gets stirred and we, we get stirred ourselves as we sing those songs. Our passions and our emotions can get stirred. We begin maybe to feel certain things. It's not as though we just have to set um, the atmosphere right. You'll, you'll notice, you know, it's pretty plain stage up here. We've not got this great lighting going on. We've not got any smoke machines. It's not as though we're playing emotive music the whole time because that's not what it's about. It's the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of God's love which stirs our hearts because it's real and it's in us and it stirs our emotions. That's why it's so important that we sing songs that are full of truth, that are full of the gospel, uh, as well as just simple songs of expressing God's, our love for God. It, it's great to just be able to sing songs like, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul rejoice. Songs of simplicity, songs of adoration, songs of love. It's wonderful to sing those love songs to Jesus. But it can't just be those because we want to be singing songs that declare who God is and declare what he's done and remind ourselves of those things because we so easily forget. And we want to remind ourselves, oh, yes, God, you do love me. So it's so good to be able to sing this morning about what we believe and then even to speak it out. I believe in God the Father. I believe uh, in, in the resurrection. I believe in the virgin birth. Uh, I believe in the Holy Church. Um, all of those truths in that creed, and it's taken from one of the creeds, we can get stirred by because it's the truth. It's the truth that is explained in God's Word. You know, it prompts an extravagant response in us when we sing songs. When we come and we sing songs like, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, 
my richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? It stirs our hearts. And then the last verse where we respond and say, were the whole realm of nature mine, that was an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. As we survey the cross, the response stirs in us. Oh, even the whole of nature if I owned it, that's not enough. It's not enough. I have to give everything. Everything. It's not heaviness. It's not anyone saying, you should give this. Because Jesus gave that. Actually, we want to. We want to. Oh God, if only I could give you more. I can't. I can't outdo your love. I can't outdo your love. Mary brought the most valuable thing that she had and she broke it over Jesus. She said, this is all I've got. This is the most valuable thing I, earned. I own, Jesus, and I'm giving it all to you. It's worth a year's wages. What could you have done with the money? Provide for your family, give to the poor, fund Jesus' ministry so he doesn't have to do miracles to feed 5,000 people. No, all of those things. She could have done those things. No. She just gave what she had to Jesus. And, wh and when, we give, when we get radically saved and transformed by Jesus, we'll be completely changed. The old's gone, the new has come, and our hearts are turned towards his love. And as we grow in our understanding of how the gospel's changed us and in our love for God, we connect extravagantly in other ways, and people aren't going to understand them. People aren't going to understand the, what, how our response. Because if they don't know that love, it just looks too much. It looks over the top. It's excessive. It's extreme. But we see people who give more of their time than is reasonable. Why would you give so much time to church? Why would you get up and, and, and set up the stage every Sunday morning and, 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 and drive in and just take all of that time? Why would you do it week on week on week? Why, why would you do that? And we see people who gather for worship, even when other things are going on, eager to worship, not to miss it. Last, last weekend, we had several gatherings together because Terry was here. And it's like, no, I want to be there. People were there. I want to I be there. I want to worship God. I want to drink in more, th more of God. Other people will gladly serve in different areas. And even at the expense of their business and, and promotion and things like that, there's people here who serve in, in different areas, whether it's food bank or whatever. And they say, do you know what? That's more important. Not food bank. We don't do food bank. What is it? Drop in. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> Maybe we're going to set up a food bank and people will serve that. Um, <coughs> but they're doing it and, and there's, a ex there's a cost but it's like, but it's not a cost because this is what I want to do. This is what I love to do. You find people giving sacrificially because they've come to understand that that's just an expression of loving Jesus and, and giving to other people. Remember when Jesus said in Matthew 25, whatever you did 
for the least of one of these brothers or sisters of mine, you do for me. You did it for me. Well, I'm, I'm prepared to give myself. I'm prepared to give people food and shelter and the practical help in life because I know I'm doing it for Jesus because Jesus is saying that. Others will give financially in ways, in very generous ways to the church and to others in need because they've understood, actually, it's only what God's poured out on us. In First Chronicles 29, 14, we said this the other week, David, he, he, he gave to God and his people gave to God and then he prayed and he said, who am I? Who are my people we should be able to give as generously as this? And then he says, but everything comes from you. And we've only given what comes from your hand. It's like you've given us all these things and, and we're not even able to give you fully back what we've, you've given us. But it's just what you've given us. It, it, it's no big deal. Some people hear about Christians and, 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 and you, what you get, some Christians give 10% of their income. That's crazy. And then, and then they hear, oh, actually, the New Testament teaches it's, it's kind of over and above that. It's even more than that. It's, it's generosity that wells up beyond. It's like, what? what? Why would you do that? Why would you give? Actually, a love of Jesus doesn't mean we have to do these things. It, it means we'll just want to. We'll just take something and it, it just won't seem that important to us because the thing that we're, we're giving it to, the, the God we're giving it to, is worth so much more. We're the whole realm of nature mine. It's too small. It's too small. All of nature demands everything. It provokes everything. I've known people who lost their jobs for the sake of Jesus. Of course, many people through the centuries have been prepared to die because of their love for Jesus. You know, at the stake, burnt at the stake. Will you renounce your, your love of Jesus? Will you deny him? No, I won't. I'll never do that. And people died. Whatever our response to Jesus' love, it'll often be spontaneous and it'll be joyful. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Mary hadn't even planned it. Maybe she just was amazed. She saw at, at the house of Simon and she's looking around and she's thinking, man, this Jesus, he's healed Simon. He's raised my brother from the dead. She's just looking with such love. Maybe it's just welling up in her and she said, I've got to do something. I don't know. Maybe there's all these guys in here. I don't know. Maybe it's not my place to be in here with Jesus. And then she just, oh, she just gets the jar and she goes. It's just maybe a spontaneous thing. Mary, do you know how much that was worth? Do you know how much you could have got on Kijiji? No, I don't care. I don't care. It'll come out in different ways with different people. But in each case, it's just extravagant. And those who haven't had their hearts stirred, who've just got their lists of do's and don'ts, well, this is what you should do, and this is what you should do, and they'll not understand They'll criticize. They'll think it's excessive. Before I knew Jesus, I used to go to a, a local church. And it was a Church of England church back in uh, the town I grew up in. And I, I, I started going along for the social things there. And then I started going along on Sundays as well. And I guess it, a number of my friends were going there. And uh, it, it, was a, you know, it was a church where the, where the gospel, where the love of Jesus was never really preached. 
in, in, in a way, certainly not that I had understood, certainly not that revealed things to me about just how much God loved me and how much he wanted to love me personally and how much he wanted to forgive my sins. But I, it was kind of you went along and you did these things and it was fine. And, uh, and then I went to university and uh, I, I very soon got saved within the first week. I came to know Jesus' love for myself. I met Christians, actually, who I'd never known before, who actually, wow, you guys really seem to believe this. And you live your life as though it's true. And it's, your whole life's about this. And I, I heard the gospel myself. And I thought, yes, why has no one preached this to me before? And I received it. And I, and, and I was full, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I just had such joy and such love. And I, I thought, I want to go back in the vacations. And I want to go back to this church. And I want to tell them all about it. I want to tell them that they're missing something. And so I, I did go back. And, uh, and they did see the difference in me. But they weren't really listening to what I, I had to say. And they were just telling me, Mark, it, it's just excessive. We're quite concerned about you. They said, maybe you've joined a cult. I don't know. It just seems over the top. It seems cultish. Uh, it, it seems like, you know, I'm, the, I, how much time are you spending with these people? I'm like, I'm spending as much time as I can with them. I just want to learn. I, wanna, I was reading scripture. I was spending time discussing and debating. No, well, not even just debating, just learning and from other people about scripture. I was worshiping, going to everything that I could. And they were like, that's just a bit excessive. That's just a bit weird, Mark. Um, and then a few people, one guy said to me, oh, he said, I'm, I'm really pleased that you're, you're excited about it. He said, but you know what? That passion's going to fade. It's going to fade pretty soon. Um, you know, just give it time. Well, that was over 30 years ago now. And hopefully my passion hasn't faded. Because um, it's real. It's something real that God's done in my heart. And, and it's something real that God's done in many of our hearts too. And if God's not done it in your heart, let me tell you, he can do it in your heart before you even leave today. You can know it today. You can know the love of God. We were at this Multiply conference last week and a number of us were there. And uh, there was a guy there speaking about worship and he was encouraging people to, to he was encouraging us in the, in the songs that we sing and, and all of that. And he said, you know, we can just cut loose in our worship. We can just give ourselves fully as we worship God. And I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but Brent went and uh, Andy Bolzer, who was up at the back, was there. And uh, Andy's someone who's, who's great because he always just worships God with his whole body. Many of us will have seen. And, and, and Brent went up to him and just kind of jokingly said, oh, he's, uh, he's giving you permission to, to cut loose. And, uh, and Brent said, Andy replied to him, uh, I've always had permission to cut loose. <laughs> he said, everyone else has just got it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I've quoted you correctly, Andy. Um, <laughs> but we don't need permission in our worship times to dance and to whistle and to clap and to jump and to sing out at the top of our voices as, 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 as I heard some doing this morning. You know, just let God stir things up in your heart because we can do that. We can express our love and devotion. And yeah, there's going to be some people who look on and go, what's that all about? Why is he responding in that way? Why is she doing that? Hey, it doesn't matter. You know, I used to... Loves, I, I still love seeing people when they just get up and they dance. You know, I remember Marilyn many times just coming and dancing at the front. And yeah, wonderful. It's wonderful. 
It's wonderful. We don't need permission to do it. We see it in the Old Testament, don't we? When David's leading his people back into Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. And they've just recaptured it. And uh, in, in 2 Samuel 14, uh, let's just have a quick look at this as we're coming towards an end here. 2 Samuel 14, and uh, David's coming back. 2 Samuel 6, sorry, verse 14. And it says, uh, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And he and Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord. Uh, that's where the presence of God resided at the time. With shouts and the sounds of trumpets. As the ark was entering the city of David, uh, Michal, daughter of Saul, and that's his wife, uh, David's wife, watched from a window. And when she saw the King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, it says she despised him in her heart. You know, David is giving extravagant devotion. He's, he's loving it. The presence of God's coming back. He's leaping and dancing. He's not overly clothed. He doesn't care. Um, he's, he's dancing before God and he's shouting and he's praising God. And his wife is looking at him and it says she despised him in her heart. You know, it, in 1 Samuel uh, 18, it says, it's very few people said this about uh, their husbands. It says, about, it says of Michal, it says she loved David. She loved David with all her heart. It's interesting. She was a wife who loved David, but yet we read on and we find she's got these idols. She's got these other things. Her heart's not wholly given to God. She loves David. She loves her husband. But she loves her idols as well. She's got these other things going on. And she looks out of the window and she sees David. And David is like, this is all that matters. My worship of God. He talks to her later on and he says, I don't care. I'll, be, I'll become even more undignified than this in the sight of God and in the sight of all these people. Because I just love God. And she looks at that and she just thinks, it's excessive. And, and, the, and the husband she loved says she despises with all her heart. Wow, what a change, what a turnaround. But her heart's divided, and David has given himself fully. If our love and our loyalties are divided, we'll look critically at those who display wholehearted, extravagant devotion to God. I'm sure Judas loved Jesus. I'm sure he loved Jesus. He'd been with him for three years. He'd seen all the things he'd received from him. He loved him. He loved money too. And then he sees this extravagant display of devotion to God. And he's like, what? A year's wages. And he can't reconcile it. He can't reconcile it. He can't get his head around it. So immediately after, he goes. What does he go? He goes and he says to the chief priests, what will you give me if I hand him over? 30 pieces of silver? Okay. I mean, he's betraying him for 30 pieces of silver. His heart's divided. His heart's divided. And he despised Mary. As Jesus looked at her and said, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. As we worship God, however it is, whatever we give to him, our wholehearted devotion to him, Jesus will look and say, it's a beautiful thing. And other people will see it and some will be attracted by it and others will be repelled by it. So, in conclusion, let me ask, what are we to do 
if this fire, if this devotion, if this love that we see in Mary, maybe we knew it once. Maybe we knew something of, of that at one point. Maybe it's died down. Maybe we don't have that anymore. How do we fan it back into flame? Well, I would say, we've already heard this morning, we go back to the cross. We go back to the cross. And as we go back to the cross, we repent. Maybe our hearts have been drawn after other things. Maybe we've run after idols, like Michal ran after idols. And maybe our devotion to God has cooled. But we can come back this morning, wherever we've gone. There's no place that we've gone too far. And we can come back to the cross where we first discovered the love of Jesus. And we can kneel at the cross and we can pour our hearts out to him and say, thank you, Jesus, for your love for us, for your sacrificial love for us. We gaze at the wondrous cross. Don't be content to stay where you are. Don't feel, oh, I can't, it's too much. Jesus is calling you back. Don't live under the heaviness and legalism and burden of people saying, well, this is what you ought to do. You can throw that off. Jesus doesn't demand that of you. He just, he just wants your heart. He just wants you to come back. He just wants you to receive his love. He died for you. He died for you. He just wants you to receive what he's already won for you. And ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh and stir within you that passion that you once had. Charles Spurgeon once said, nothing puts life back into men like a dying savior. That's where we go. And what if we've never known this overwhelming, extravagant love and passion for God? What if your heart and affection has never been stirred? Well, as I said, you can come to Jesus today. He'll change everything. He'll forgive you. He'll pour his spirit out into your heart if you ask him. He'll give you new life. He'll give you desires uh, which are greater than the ones that you had before. Some of you are, are feeling consumed in bondage to things. You're just like, oh, I'm living my life. And I, uh, these things that I started doing and I, I enjoyed at one point, now they've just got a hold on me. There's no real enjoyment in them anymore. Whatever it might be, I'm just in bondage to them. I can't break free. I've tried to break free. I can't do it. It's making my life miserable. God can break you free of those because he's going to give you a desire and a passion for things which is far greater than the passion for those things that you've run after and held you in bondage. You'll, you'll know a love far greater than you've ever known and your heart and affections will be changed. Why don't we stand together at the band Come back. We're just going to worship. Let's stand together as I pray as we finish this morning.